If you're just joining us uh, this week, last week we started a look at what I would call a cold case. Not cold in the sense that the Bible has um, sort of been put on the shelf, but cold in the sense that maybe we haven't been thinking about uh, things around the life of Jesus for about 11 months. And so now we get to, in uh, a few weeks, just consider these sorts of things. And for me, what I'm trying to approach it as is a cold case, and the file is the birth of Jesus. Why was he born? And sometimes you need to pull something off the shelf and look at it with fresh eyes to see if there's evidence that maybe we've missed something. Maybe there's something that we haven't quite looked into deep enough, or maybe there's uh, something that we have overlooked. And so as we come into some of these texts, that's what I want to do. Last week, we considered, I hope with fresh eyes, a couple of sentences that were written by John, the Apostle John, when he wrote his um, gospel, the book of John. And in it, he tells us why he actually wrote the whole book of John. And it's quite fascinating. It was important for us to understand that because it tells us one of the reasons that Jesus was born. And so John wrote this. He says that we might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. And so the question we simply ask, well, who is this Jesus? Is he simply just a man? Can we believe what John said about him? And is he able to give life? And what kind of life is that? Because after all, I have physical life, so I don't really need life. Unless you think about the need of spiritual life. And so we dug into that and we discovered precisely that he is able to give spiritual life because he is the author of life because he is God in human flesh. Because Jesus, the baby that was born, it was not just a human. He was in fact God's Messiah, the savior of the world. And he was in fact the son of God, very God himself. And therefore he is able to give life to all those who believe on him. And we wonder, well, why do so many people miss that? Why do so many people not look at Jesus and conclude that he is not just a man, that he is in fact the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, in another place, John wrote, I have not written to you because you don't know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar, if not the one who decides or denies that Jesus is the Messiah? There are people that will tell us, oh, that's just a baby. That's no savior. That wasn't God. That was just a baby that was born. And John would say they are denying the truth. And in fact, they are lying. So looking for the reason behind Christ's birth, with fresh eyes, should lead us to the conclusion that he was more than just a human born to Mary. They, he was, in fact, God's promised Messiah, Son of God, and John wrote his gospel so that we might conclude that about Jesus. But there's another piece of evidence that we find in the scriptures that maybe it would help to look at with fresh eyes again. Again, we're looking at why Jesus was born. And as we come to uh, this particular text that we're going to open, it's a text about his death. And we think, well, how can a text about his death tell us anything about why he was born? We find this text at the end of John's gospel. Um, as he is talking with Pilate, he's hours away from being murdered by the Jewish people and that murder is committed by the Roman soldiers. And he's being interrogated by Pilate because the Jews have asked Pilate for permission to kill Jesus. Their law doesn't allow that, and so they need law, or they need uh, okay from the Roman government in order to execute Jesus. And this revolves around a statement 
that the Jews asked Pilate or made to Pilate that he claims that he is the king of the Jews. And so Pilate needs to sort this out. Is Jesus the king of the Jews? So if you have your Bibles, turn in them to John chapter 18. And I just want to read a few verses there from uh, verse 28 uh, till about verse 38. And this is the text that we're going to look at this morning. There it says, Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early in the morning. They themselves did not want to go into the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have brought him before you. Pilate said to them, Well, take him yourselves then and judge him by your own law. But the Jews said to him, No, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters and called out to Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? You? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it about you or about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. Oh, there it is. For this purpose I was born. For this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, what is truth? And after he said this, he went back outside to the Jews. Here is Jesus at the end of John's gospel, near the end of his life, declaring to Pilate the reason why he was born, why he came into the world. It's the only place in John's gospel where he explicitly refers to the birth of Jesus. Mark says nothing about it. Matthew and Luke tell us a great deal about the birth of Jesus. But here at the end of John's gospel, as Jesus is about to die, we have a Christmas text. Here is evidence that we need to dig into a little bit deeper. Why was Jesus born? God, give us fresh eyes to look at this text. Jesus says something about his birth, and it is a unique birth. Notice he says, I was born for this, and for this reason I have come into the world. And we say, that's quite a statement, isn't it? And have come into the world. Did he just say what I think he said? We might ask ourselves. We might say, well, I was born for this, or for this reason I was born to do this. I was born to fix cars, or I was born to build rocket ships, or I was born to be a custodian. Whatever it might be, we would say that. But very few of us say, the reason I came into this world was to do such and such. So we might say, well, from where then? Where did you come from, Jesus? Which in itself is a strange question. Where did you come from, Jesus? How did you get into this world? 
It would be easy for us to skim over that and just sort of ignore it and just go on to the rest of what Jesus says. But we need to think this through just a little bit. What is Jesus telling Peter about or Pilate about his birth? And how is it connected with what he just finished saying? My kingdom is not of this world. You see what Jesus is saying? He's saying there is more to this physical world than meets the eye. There is another world. There is another place. Now, we listen to this in the Bible, and it really doesn't do a whole lot for us. We think, well, that's kind of strange. Jesus saying he come from another world. And yet for years, people flocked at Christmas time to the theaters to watch the next Star Wars installment because they were thrilled with what was going on in the other worlds around this planet. Or those that were following the Lord of the Rings and were mesmerized with the various worlds that there were and the people that were in their worlds. It's not that we don't have an imagination for those things. It's that we don't want to believe certain things that people tell us about those worlds. And so Jesus is saying, I have come from another world. My kingdom is not of this world. One of the fascinating places then is for us to remember, there, this world is not all there is. There is another place. There is another reality. There is another realm. And Jesus says, I have come from that place. And we know when we read scripture that that place is variously described as heaven. It's a place of spiritual reality. And we have Jesus claiming to have come from that place and entered into our world. Do you understand the implication of that then? Jesus just wasn't born to Mary. That wasn't when his existence began. The person Jesus, not his body, existed before he was born. Really? Really? This is the mystery and the wonder of what we call the incarnation. Emmanuel, God with us. God taking on flesh. This is the wonder of Christmas. It's the reminder that the humanity of Jesus is also part of the eternal existence of Jesus before he was born. There's a text that the uh, the, uh, that we find often connected with the wise men when they're before Herod. And the wise men, remember, they came and said, where is this one who was born the king of the Jews? And so um, Herod turns to the Jewish wise people and he says, does the scripture say anything about this? And they say, well, yeah, in Micah, Micah chapter five, verse two. And so they quote it there and he said, but you, O Bethlehem Epaphrath, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall, one, shall come forth one who is to be the ruler of Israel. So they knew that that text prophesied about a coming king. And they believed that that coming king would be born in Bethlehem from the tribe of Judah. But we rarely read the rest of verse two, where it says, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. There's a further prophecy there that tells us something about that king who would be born in Bethlehem. He was the ancient of days. Such a thought was too big for the religious leaders to entertain. They only could see the Messiah as a man. They couldn't see the Messiah as God himself entering into the world. After all, Jesus was only a man. And so I suspect that Pilate must have been jarred by Jesus' statement, for this reason I came into the world. Can you imagine somebody telling you that? You'd look at them like they were nuts. Wouldn't you? If you sat down with coffee for somebody and they said, let me tell you, I came from another world. All your, your radars would go off, wouldn't you? So how does Jesus back this up? 
Jesus is saying there is another place. There is another world. And he says, I have entered into your world from that world. There's another place that Jesus was having a conversation with um, some of the Jewish leaders about Abraham. And they believed that Abraham was their father in the sense that they all derived from Abraham. They were of his blood. And so they said to, or Jesus said to them, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to them, you're not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Why did they want to kill him? Because Jesus was claiming to be God. He was claiming to have existed before Abraham existed. That statement, before Abraham was, I am, is the very word that God used to describe himself to, to Moses and say, tell the people, I am. I will be who I will be. Tell the people God has sent you. So Jesus is there claiming to be the eternal God. John, at the very beginning of the gospel, says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. That's a clear statement of John that Jesus existed before the world existed. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word, God, the eternal God, took on flesh and dwelt among us, came to live amongst humanity. Paul speaks of the same reality when he says, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. There it is again. It's another scriptural text that tells us that Jesus existed as God before he entered into this world. And when he came into this world, he took on human flesh. This is, this is a, a, a amazing stuff. It's really unmistakable, but easy to overlook. It's very easy for people just to, to run by that one and, and just not even let it register in their heads and just say, oh yeah, Jesus was born. But to think about God coming into this world in the form of Christ, to think about the person, the character of Christ having existed before he was born is too much for some people to wrap their heads around. Shortly before Jesus died, he prayed this, and now, Father, glorify me, in your presence with the glory that I had before the world existed. Jesus was aware of his deity. Jesus was aware of the fact that he lived before this world even existed. And again, this must have rattled Pilate's cage. I don't know what would have gone through his mind. Here's this man who is extraordinary. He's so different from everyone else. He's questioning him. He's calm. He's peaceful. He's not riled. He's not using foul language. He's not going after the Jews. He's just calmly talking to them about a kingdom that is not of this world. He's calmly saying to Pilate, I have, I, I have come into this world. This is why I was born. Some of the implications of this are profound. Do you believe that this world is not all there is? The world would have us push that way. 
Increasingly, we are um, led to believe and even um, pushed to believe and narrated in so many different ways to believe that the physical world is all there is. It is a closed universe. There is nothing outside of this world. Material is all that there is. Jesus clearly contradicts that in this text. I have come into this world. What are the implications for you personally to move from thinking about Jesus as simply a man that was born to Mary to now thinking that he is the pre-existent God? It changes everything. God is real, as we say. That changes everything. So he had a unique birth, but he also had a clear purpose. He says very clearly to Pilate, I was born for this to testify to the truth. In short, we could put it like this. There is truth that everyone should believe. We're going to come back to this for a minute. There is a witness to that truth which is none other than God himself who came into the world. So God came into the world to testify to what is true. You talk about truth in our world, and it's more like talking about my favorite flavor of ice cream. I like vanilla. You like Rocky Road. You like chocolate. You like butterscotch. I even found when I was away on holidays a marzipan ice cream. Oh. I love marzipan. But it's a very personal choice. Your ice cream is your ice cream. My ice cream is my ice cream. You're okay with yours. I'm okay with mine. That's how people view truth increasingly in our world today. Well, that's your truth, but that's not my truth. I'm, I'm glad you believe that, but don't put what you believe on me. Don't tell me that's the best flavor of truth. I have my own flavor of truth that I like. In other words, truth has become a matter of personal choice. Jesus is not talking about truth here in the terms of take it and leave it. In terms of your truth and my truth. He's talking about the truth. He's talking about absolute truth. He's talking about testifying to the truth that comes to us, the testimony comes to us from another world. It's truth that is exotic to us, so to speak. It's truth that we will not find on our own. We will not come to in our own reasoning. We will not come to by our own investigation. It's truth that we have to be told, that we have to be taught. He's talking about absolute truth, truth that everyone should believe, truth that everyone should follow, truth about God, truth about man and women, truth about sin, truth about salvation, truth about eternal reality, truth about a kingdom. Is there such a thing as absolute truth, we ask ourselves? Because that's what Jesus is claiming here. You see, we can handle truth that doesn't bring moral judgments into it. We are, we are even okay with absolute truth in a, in a certain situation that doesn't require any connection to morality. But as soon as the notion of absolute truth is connected with morality, we go crazy and our world lights their hair on fire. See, some would argue there is no such thing. Why is your truth, why is your moral truth better than my moral truth? You're simply misguided to think that any one truth could be imposed on every single human being. Don't we hear that in our world? You can't tell me how to live. You can't tell me how to act. You can't tell me what to do with my body. 
If you want to do that with your body, that's fine. But don't tell me what to do with my body. Others might say, well, it's actually immoral. In fact, we see a great deal of this today. Is there any absolute truth about marriage? Doesn't seem to be anymore in the world in which we live. Is there absolute truth about human life? When it begins? When it ends? I'm shocked by how rapidly Canada has embraced MADE. Shocked. But your truth is your truth. You can kill yourself if you want to, but don't tell me that I can't. Is there moral truth about sexuality? Is there moral truth about gender? Some would say no, and therefore it's immoral for you to impose your view of marriage on me, or your view of sexuality on me, or your view of gender on me. You believe what you want, but don't tell me to embrace it. Jesus' words are inflammatory. But he says, I was born for this. I was born to testify to the truth. Think this through just a little bit. Who is it that has come into the world again? Well, it's none other than God himself. So it's God who is coming into the world to testify about what is true. The truth about himself, the truth about our world, the truth about you and I. This is the only way that we would ever come to know absolute truth. It has to come from outside of our world. It has to come from outside of us. Humans will never agree on absolute moral truth. We just won't because we're sinful. And, and we want to live our lives the way we want to live our lives. We don't want anybody telling us how to live. And so there is no such thing then of moral truth coming from within human society. It has to come to us from outside of ourselves. It's the only way that we can have absolute truth. I was shocked to recall at the beginning of COVID, one government leader declaring, we will continue to be your single source of truth. Unless you hear it from us, it is not the truth. Dismiss everything else. Coming from a human, that's shocking. To, to have a human being who could claim to be the single source of truth. Now, uh, I better not go down that path. I'm just, my, my point is simply, we need truth to come from outside of us. Our world is a culture that has rejected any notion of God. Certainly any notion of a God who is over us. We've done it by rejecting the Bible. You know, you can't even read portions of the Bible publicly now in Britain. We're, we're rejecting the notion of absolute truth again and again and ever because we have gotten rid of God. Do you ever get a sense that people are looking for absolute moral truth in the day and age in which we live? I think less and less that is true. I think people are just looking for their truth, whatever that means. It's really a way of saying, I just want to live how I want to live. Don't tell me how I should live. There's a great deal of confusion here. I understand the dilemma. I understand what people are fighting against, why 
we resist absolute truth. I understand how truth has been undermined again and again by constant lies and lies and by moving God to the margin, margins. But if we accept this truth that Jesus has come into the world and that that is actually God that has come into the world, then the very least we ought to sit up and listen. We're confronted with the fact that he's coming to tell us things that we need to know. That's why the Bible is so important in our world, but certainly to those who have trusted in Christ, because we believe that God has spoken to us. And this word is true. Heaven and earth will pass away, but these words will never pass away. They can't because they come from the eternal God who is true. And so he has come into this world. He has spoken to us. He has testified to the truth and he has given us a record of that truth. Again, this, this it, it, it is sort of amazing to me. We, we realize that there is such things as absolute truth in physics. We realize that there's such thing as absolute truth in chemistry. We realize that there are such things as absolute truth in mathematics. We know all things being equal. If you jump out of an airplane, it doesn't matter where in the world you are, it doesn't matter who you are, you're going to be in trouble. So we recognize that there is absolute truth in our world to the degree that there are things that apply universally to every human being in the realms of physics or chemistry or mathematics, for example. Why do we not conclude then that there is also absolute moral truth? It's not that the concept of absolute truth doesn't exist. We just don't want it to exist in the area of morality. I was thinking of this when it comes to parenting. If you're a parent here, or were a parent, did you parent with any idea of absolute truth or was all your parenting relative truth? So you come home and your son has lied to you and you say, don't lie to me. Well, no, that's your truth, Dad. That's not my truth. There has to be absolute truth in a home. Otherwise, there's absolute chaos. What Jesus is saying to Pilate then is there is truth and it's truth that comes to God who is outside of this world, who comes into this world and it's truth that gives us meaning. It's absolute, unchanging, eternal truth. Truth that as we seek it and as we find it and as we obey it, we find life and we find freedom. So you might say, well, how does Jesus bear witness to the truth today? It was great 2,000 years ago when, when you could find Jesus somewhere and you could run up to him and you could talk to him, which was absolutely amazing that you could talk to God in the flesh. You could follow him around. You could listen to his teaching. You could find him in the temple and there he was teaching. And he spoke the truth again and again and again. Never, never wavered, never faltered. Pressure never did anything. He always spoke the truth. Well, that was 2,000 years ago. How do you and I now have Jesus testify the truth to us? We have the Bible, particularly the four Gospels. Those are the records of the testifying of Jesus to the truth. And so if you want to know what the truth is, then go and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 
If you don't have a Bible, take one from under the seats in front of you. Take it home with you. And for the next three or four weeks, say, you know what? With an open mind, it doesn't mean that I'm going to shut my brain off. We never say that. God wants us to use our brains. He's given us amazing faculties of reason. So don't shut your brain off, but take the Bible with an open-mindedness and say, okay, is this true, what Jesus is saying? Read the Sermon on the Mount, just there, and you'll find the moral truth that Jesus teaches. And ask yourself, does that make sense? Is that true? And so you can find the testimony of Jesus to the truth in the Bible, particularly in the Gospels, if you're willing to look for it and then to listen to it. Thirdly, there's a necessary prerequisite. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. But it seems clear that not everyone is of the truth because not everyone listens to his voice. It's clear that not everyone is of the truth. So what does that mean? I think in part it means, well, are you open to the truth? Are you willing to listen to it? Are you willing to seek it? Are you willing to say, well, I might not know everything or my way of life is not the only way of life. Is there a truth that comes from God? Are you willing to try and discover it? Are you willing to wrestle with it? Are you willing to consider it? Will you consider that what some people call truth is not truth at all? And that Jesus came to testify about the truth. Do you want to know if you're making good and wise decisions? What you do with the truth is eternally significant. We just spent a number of weeks in 2 Thessalonians and uh, you, some of you might recall these words. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception to those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and be saved. They didn't have an open mind. They shut their minds to it. They said, nah, there's no such thing as truth. I'm, I'm not gonna believe that. I don't like that. It, it squashes my lifestyle. It squashes the way they think. That's not true. Therefore, God sends a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that they may be condemned who do not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. See, see what he's saying? That, that they didn't want to believe the truth because they liked the way they were living. They liked the pleasure that they got from it. They pursued a certain lifestyle and they didn't want to think whether that lifestyle was good or bad, right or wrong. So they refused to obey it. They refused to listen to it. So clearly, not all embrace the truth that Christ testifies to. Their bent is towards relativism. They will not love the God of truth. They will not believe God's truth. They embrace their own truth. If you don't want to find truth, you won't find it. The way not to find truth is not to look for it. In anything, it, you, truth needs to be investigated, doesn't it? And no matter what field you're in, no matter what you're doing, you want to find truth. And so if you want to find truth, you will search for it. You will search for it with an open mind. And then finally, this leads us to an explicit warning. Pilate turns to him and says, what is truth? It's fascinating to me that Pilate just ignores Jesus' statement. And you can see that because it says that when he had said this, he went back outside. So he said that and he blew Jesus off. He didn't ask him further, well, what do you mean you've come to testify to the truth? Well, show me a truth that you're here. What? He didn't say anything. He said, what is truth? And just blew him off and went out to the Jews. He, he, all, he got all he wanted to know, and that was, was Jesus 
The accusation of Jesus being the king of the Jews, a threat to the Roman Empire. He had determined, no, it wasn't a threat. So Jesus, here you go. You can have him back. He's no worry of mine. He's your worry. So he just ends with what is truth. It's, it's amazing to me that in the very presence of God, in the very presence of God who is the testifying one to the truth, in the very presence of the one who is the light of this world, Pilate is blind. He's unwilling to acknowledge what is right before his eyes. He loved darkness rather than light. Why was he so flippant? I don't know. Have you ever thought about this? And Maybe we're flippant with the truth. Why so disillusioned? Why so determined to turn his back on truth? He doesn't really care. His inter interrogation is over. He's got what he needs from Jesus. Now he can blow him off. Maybe he looked at the Jews and thought, you know, I have just dealt with these Jews for seven years and I never know when they're telling me the truth. I, you know, I don't think they're telling me the truth about Jesus. The evidence doesn't add up. You know, but they're claiming this and he's claiming that. So what is truth? He'd been a judge for seven years and must have adjudicated hundreds of cases. Heard people lie. Heard people bend the truth. Heard people twist the truth. Heard people tell the truth. And so he finally came to the place. Is there anything such as truth? Maybe he was simply done seeking. I think there is a need for absolute moral truth. I really do. I think there's a need of it in our world. There's so much chaos in our world because people is doing, everyone is doing what is right in their own eyes. And I need truth in my life. I hope you know what's at stake, how you view Jesus. He says, I am a way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's an absolute truth. Will you look at the evidence of Jesus with fresh eyes today? Will you listen to the testimony of Jesus to the truth with an open mind today? Let the evidence guide you. That's all I ask. Let the evidence guide you. I'm not here to trick you. I'm not here to hoodwink you. I'm not here to force you to a certain conclusion. All I am here is to push you to say, let the evidence guide you. Is Jesus from heaven, God, who has come into this world to tell us the truth? And I'm convinced of this because he says, you will know the truth and the truth will what? Set you free. Is there not freedom in walking in the truth of God? I believe there is. Father, I pray that you will open our eyes to the truth this morning that you open our eyes to Jesus Christ, that you will open our eyes to see that Jesus was the eternally and is the eternally existent Son of God who entered into time and space to bear witness to the truth about God, the truth about ourselves, the truth about our need, the truth about the best way to live. Oh, Father, open our eyes, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.